Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bladed Apples, a horror podcast. Drop your trick-or-treat bag every week. Yes. Right? We're still on track? Maybe? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> We've been we're kind of back-burning each episode and then putting it out kind of as we go, so... I think we're kind of been hitting a rhythm. If it doesn't come out that week, it comes out very early the following week. But still, we're on track, kind of. Right. <laughs> I'm we're getting rocking. there. I'm yeah. And today, we are not talking about a movie. Today, we have a guest. Well, we're kind uh, we, of talking about a movie. Their movie. We, we will be talking about a movie, but we aren't like just talking about a movie. We have an interview today. Uh, with Isaiah Rice, who is a up-and-coming filmmaker. Uh, he is making or currently uh, funding a new short film uh, called He's Watching You, which is a queer, black-focused horror short. Um, and we will be getting all the details on that in his campaign later in the show, as well as probably his uh, starts in horror, his interests, and get to know more about him as an artist. And you also get all the other babble beforehand between me and Blaze Ramley talking about shit as they normally do. Correct. Right? And I don't think we have any of the extra fat on the end, do we? Nope. All right. So it's a pretty lean, mean episode. So I guess we'll get to it. So how has your week been, buddy? Oh, not bad. Slow. Yeah? Slow week. I haven't watched too much. No? Mm-mm. I ha- I've been... Well, I, I did. And they had the uh, the only WWE uh, premium event uh, for Halloween for the Halloween season. And we got a spooky character coming back, so... Who was that? Bray Wyatt. Okay. Yep, he showed up on the show last night. He was also known as The Fiend, head of the Firefly Funhouse, bunch of stuff. Great wrestler. Everyone's been wondering where the hell he's been. And uh, he has also been working on a horror movie. Don't know too many details about it yet. But uh, they now that old Trips is in charge, they got him back. So they did a whole spooky segment in bringing him back. No, that's cool. I mean, anything for a gimmick, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of like what our whole show's about. Yeah, a gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about all I did. <laughs> Just, really? Yeah. I'm the complete opposite because I I watched so many new things that I was I hoping Hellraiser, you said, and yeah, I watched. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. Watch a lot um, since our last episode. So I think the first big release that I watched since we last talked was uh, I finally saw Pearl. Oh, you did? It was amazing. I loved it. I think it's better than X. That's strong words there, my friend. I think that I, I loved X. We talked about X before whenever it came out. Yeah. But Pearl is a it's almost more of a character piece than like kind of slash or Texas chainsaw meets porn fun of X. It's really focused on Pearl as a character more than anything. And it's a little bit more of a slow burn because it doesn't have that kind of exploitive element that X did. But I mean, Mia Goth 
I mean, just give her all the roles after this. And she's she's great. She's awesome in this film. She's awesome in X also. But I mean, really in this one, I think the biggest surprise for me, though, I'm not really surprised what I really took from it. It's just Ty West and how he's developed as a filmmaker. Oh, I know. Yeah. I mean, just him matured, uh, just maturity wise and talent wise. He's gotten so strong with every release and where he is right now, putting out something that's, I mean, he shot it in Technicolor. It's beautiful. Like I said, it's a character piece. So he's so good at just really directing Mia Goth on how to do these different scenes and all that. And, and, it not just having to rely on the exploitation element of maybe some of his earlier entries or his more genre heavy fare is really, really good. And does something that I mentioned last episode with the houses October built whenever you have a prequel or sequel, you wanted to add something hopefully to the film that came before it. And Pearl does Pearl makes X better because you do learn more about Pearl as a character and kind of where these characters were before the events of X Mm -hmm. to where it makes you kind of see everything in a different kind of view. And I highly recommend it. And I think it's a better made film than X. I think that both of them are amazing, of course, and I'm excited to see what he's going to do with Maxine. I'm not a huge fan that it's going to be set in the eighties because I'm tired of eighties nostalgia, but I don't know. He did a fine job with the 70s, so I'm hoping he'll... He did. He did. I mean, he's already kind of had a 80s-fueled genre romp with House of the Devil, which is an amazing film. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, that's a great film. But I'm interested in seeing how he's going to kind of tie this trilogy up. I love that he made X and Pearl back-to-back in secret. And they both came out in one year, and they were going to get this third installment just the very next year. I mean, I think that's awesome. Well, it's definitely one of those ones I got to see on my list. And I, <laughs> I just like there's so many movies I need to go see, and I just haven't. Like getting off at 8 p.m. kind of makes it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it could be a pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What else have I seen? I, I saw a lot. So let me see what else I saw. Uh, I'll get to Midnight Club. Uh, let me see what I saw earlier in the week, though. I saw, I watched, <laughs> I went to the movies twice this week. Went to see oh, Pearl. It wants to see Moon Age Daydream. I saw the new David Bowie documentary. Yeah, how was that? Awesome. It is at first opaque, and then kind of as it goes along it kind of loosens up and you learn more about David Bowie because it kind of reflects him developing as an artist. And back in the seventies, he was very opaque in his interviews. And that's the thing about the film as well, is that even though it's a documentary, most of it is taken not from secondhand, secondhand accounts, but based more on interviews that were done with Bowie. So he's almost, we're, we're following him throughout his different years and uh, throughout his career. And I think that the concert footage is awesome. If you don't catch it in a theater, then you need to watch at home with lights off and your sound system turned up. <laughs> because it feels like, especially singing in theaters, feels like the closest thing you're going to get to seeing David Bowie live since his passing. And even before that, he wasn't touring for a long time before that. What about it Zoolander? Is the, what's that? What about Zoolander? 
<laughs> well, that was 20 years ago. It's not that long. <laughs> it, it is that long. <laughs> Does it make you feel old? No. <laughs> you do not handle aging well, do you? No. <laughs> For anybody that doesn't know, Blaze's birthday is in a couple weeks. Oh. <laughs> and he's turning to the ripe old age of 31. 32. I mean, yeah, 31. <laughs> Which isn't a bad age to be. 30 but, is the new I'm going to die tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> You're being very neurotic about this. <laughs> but yeah, Moon Age Daydream. It's great. It's uh, one of my favorite movies of the year so far. It's, uh, it's, it's more of an experience. It borders more on an art house film than a documentary a lot of the times. And it just feels like a real celebration of his career, but not being just a real and then and then and then kind of documentary, which I feel most documentaries kind of fall into that pocket after a while where you're just like, how far in the timeline are we? <laughs> and you're kind of waiting for the documentary to be over after a while. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The documentary is really good. It has almost a narrative to it to where it has you on a journey with it. And that's what this film feels like. And I really enjoyed it. So those are the two I saw in theaters. I saw, and like you mentioned before, I did watch Hellraiser. You ever watch it yet? Nope. Hellraiser is, um, it's pretty good. I reflect what most people said. A lot of people say, have said that it's the best one since the second one. And I can agree with that. I mean, that's a pretty low bar. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's be honest. After Hellraiser 2... That bar got dropped a lot. If you don't know what we mean, refer to our episode, Pinhead in Space. Yeah. <laughs> the the <series> masterpiece. Took- <laughs> Hellraiser took a pretty big nosedive after the second one. But it's it's interesting because people are saying it's a remake, but it almost doesn't feel like a remake. And I know, me, you talked on the phone about it, where I'm happy that it's not just a direct remake where it's retelling the story of the cotton family, which it doesn't have anything to do with Frank and Julia's relationship or Kirsty and her father or anything like that. It's a completely new story about a young woman that is going through a 12 step program and her family is very much there for her, but she has other bad influences that are around her. And I kind of like how the puzzle box reflects this and, brings that idea of vice into the film just like any good hellraiser film does it focuses on that you know our vices and and whether it be drugs or sex or whatever it is it's it's whatever you need in your life to function or that you rely on to function it kind of exploits that right that's what the cenobites do and I do like that angle of it. I, I do like that the movie is almost more of a remake of the first four films. More than just the first one, it kind, kind of picks and chooses from the first four ones. So you'll you'll see one story, I'm like, oh, that's from two. Or one, you'll be like, oh, that's from Hell on Earth. Like it, it definitely has a lot of respect for the earlier part of the franchise. And also, I do like kind of how the Cenobites are done, but they look a little too clean for me. They look a little too glossy. They're also all female, 
which is very interesting. I do kind of like that angle. Right. Um, and I didn't realize until I did research after watching that Jamie Clayton, who everybody's been very excited about playing, well, not Pinhead, but the Hell Priest, uh, which is the same name that Pinhead was referred to in the original novella, isn't a just a female, but is also a trans actress. Really? And I, yeah, I didn't even realize that. So uh, I think that's pretty cool once I found that out as well. Um, but it's Jerry Bruckner uh, a week or two ago. I think I told you I was watching it. I watched his movie that came out prior to this, and it was the same screenwriters as well. The Night House with, uh, starring Rebecca Hall. That's a great film until the ending. And I kind of feel the same about this Hellraiser film where I think the first half of this Hellraiser movie is really, really good. And then kind of as it gets along, I feel like it, it it becomes a little too slashery for me. And I feel like once more people once more people watch and I can talk about more openly, I can spoil it. But since it just came out a couple of days ago, I'm not going to. Mm-hmm. But I gave it, I think on Letterboxd, I gave it a three and a half out of five. So that's a seven out of ten. That's a pretty good score. Right. That's a solid score. So I like that. I have more fun, though. That same day, Werewolf by Night got released on Disney+. Plus. I did not think I was going to like that at all. And I had a lot of fun with Werewolf by Night. Damn, you really did, like, just binge. <laughs> I, I did, yeah. Oh, I'm not even done yet. <laughs> <laughs> I still got a couple things. Uh, Werewolf by Night was fun. Disney Plus put out, it's, it's the first Halloween special from uh, the MCU. So it's Marvel Comics first like it's only an hour long uh, halloween special focused on the comic book character werewolf by night if you can't tell by the fucking name who's a fucking werewolf i don't know <laughs> but uh it, it's fun it, it's directed by michael giacchino who is a composer he composed the score for a lot of pixar films he's a great great composer i really like him a lot especially his incredible s- score I, I love that score that but is this is his first time directing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It has that kind of like James Bond feel to it. I love it. Mm-hmm. But he's this is his first time directing. And he makes basically a, hey, if the Wolfman was John Wick, kind of, uh, <laughs> that's kind of what it boils down to. I feel like the storyline or why everything's happening is like a little, it's very much a MacGuffin kind of plot where it doesn't matter, but it's kind of the fun that goes around it. Especially since you have a surprise character in there that I won't spoil that I know you'll really like. And no, it's not task. Taskmaster's already been the MCU. I know. Oh, is it a person that's not been in the MCU? It's a person that's in the short, but that hasn't appeared before. Hasn't appeared in any of these Marvel movies before. And it is a horror character. That's the hints I'll give, but (laughs) (laughs) I would just turn it off at that point. Aragon, Etrigan. Uh. Etrigan is DC. Oh, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking out of it, man. <laughs> but no, it's fun. It's only 50 minutes. It's worth a watch, I think. It's all in black and white, and it's kind of a nod back to the Universal Monster films. Even though it doesn't really feel too much like it, they try to do some things to make it kind of a throwback, but it's a little too clean and smooth to make it really look like it. But so a fun little quick watch and perfect for the season. So I say to watch that as well. Um, anything to add on any of those before I continue? Nope. 
Okay. I didn't watch any of them. So. <laughs> well, so you could have been like, oh, well, how about this? Or what about this about any of those? Are you any questions? I mean, about I can them? keep guessing characters if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Hobgoblin. <laughs> it's not, it's a Hobgoblin. It's, it's no Spider-Man villain. <clears throat> it's, it's Spider-Man. A... <laughs> Damn it. You got it. <laughs> no, it's not Spider-Man. I watched Midnight Club like you referenced. I saw, I, I've only watched three episodes of it, but. How many are there? Eight? Ten. Ten. Okay. It's one of those. It's one of those things where October 7th, which is Friday, released so many things because Hellraiser and Werewolf by Night both came out on Friday, but so did The Midnight Club, which is a new show from Mike Flanagan. And like I said, I have a watch off, but I will watch the first three episodes. But I really like it. I really like it. Well, you know, it it's Mike Flanagan has just like really found himself in these series. Like he had like a few like decent runs in movies, but nothing compares to the television he's been making. Well, he yeah, he's definitely found his comfort spot, right? He's definitely found where, hey, I'm gonna do this, it works best for me is doing this long form storytelling doing eight to 10 episodes of really character heavy monologue, heavy character study horror, right? Where as much of a bummer as midnight mass. (laughs) uh, No. And I was, I was going to bring that up where, I mean, so far it's not, I don't think it's going to be because this is based off of a young adult book series from an author named Christopher street, like fair street. And actually I was comparing it to fair street as I was watching it. Because Fair Street came out. Wait, was that last year that came out? That two didn't come years. Out it's been two years. No, I think it came out last year. Yeah, you're right. It was last. I think year. It came out last year. Yeah, which were based off the R.L. Stein wrote those books, right? Yep, R.L. Stein wrote Fair Street. And this is a series from Christopher Pike, which is also a '90s series of young adult horror novels. And what I can say about it is it definitely has this kind of fun element to it while still being serious because it's serious. If nobody knows it takes place at hospice and it's all kids that are all dying from different diseases. So our our main character has lymphoma and one character has like AIDS and one character has each character is like, a teenager that is dying and kind of how they're getting over it is that they have a midnight club where they're meeting up in a library that's at the hospice and they tell each other spooky stories that they think up. And each of these stories are based off of previous uh, midnight club novels, but they're kind of telling this and they're reflecting themselves into the stories. And it almost feels like a way of them coming to grips with what they're going through. You know, every story they say the author puts their self into in some way. So is it more of like a compilation of stories than like a ma- like a one? No, no, no. It's not It's not an anthology. It's there. There's a main plot going through it. But every episode, about halfway through, they kind of meet up and they start telling a story. And through that story, you're kind of learning about each character more from whoever is telling the story to everybody else. Because in the stories, the actors that are playing the kids are also in the story they're telling, playing the characters. And it kind of reflects some element of what they're going through or what they've 
went through before or where their state of mind is, which is very interesting. Right. Um, I like it a lot so far. I'm only three episodes in, like I said. It's Mike Flanagan, though. It is character heavy, and he knows how to kind of balance the heavy parts. It's also pretty funny. And what I like about a lot is that since it is young characters telling these stories, ones that are in high school or in their late teens, that some of their stories are kind of silly. And they get called out by other kids about it. <laughs> so the first episode just broke a Guinness uh, a Guinness record for the most jump scares in a horror series single episode. No shit. Because one girl is telling the story and she fills it with jump scares. And the kids are like, you're just being cheap and you're just startling us. Like they call it out. It's not just like, you know, one of these things where it's just happening to piss off the, the, the viewers. It's happening and they call it out where it's like, of course, a kid would tell like a story like this, right? Right. <laughs> of course, they'll fill that in because that's how they think. They're, they're, they're into that kind of um, conjuring or insidious kind of films where it's just filled with jump scares. And that's what's scary, right? So I kind of like how they refer to it or, or if there's like some silly element to the story. When the kids will be like, that's bullshit. That's fucking stupid. <laughs> it's like, will you let me tell the fucking story? <laughs> you know? And so, so it's got a good amount of humor in it. And I like it. I like it a lot so far. And just Mike Flanagan. I, he's my favorite voice in horror right now. It's not as good as Midnight Mass, but what is? <laughs> and, uh, and it's probably not going to be as good as Haunting a Hill House. But it's a super solid, good series so far. Okay. Oh, I actually did start watching a series that I was oh, yeah? to interview with a vampire. You still there, Rocky? I think you froze up. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned uh you mentioned that you started watching watching that on the, where we were talking on the phone yesterday. Yeah, it's been very good. Um it's how uh, deep are you into it? There's only two episodes out, so. Okay. But uh, they, they they really do a good job embodying the characters, and from what I hear, it's it's you know, uh, I I it's funny because you know I I actually read the entire book of the Vampire Lestat, but mm. I never read it. <laughs> like I just watched a movie, and I'm like, oh, I want to know more about what happened after that. And, uh, right. From from what I hear, though, a lot of fans are saying that it's. Uh, it's more true to the books, okay, than the movie. So um, I do love the movie, though. Oh yeah, the movie's great. Uh, we need more Antonio Banderas. <laughs> He's trying to make kind of a comeback. He's been a couple things over the last few years. He was in the amazing Pain and Glory. If nobody's seen that, I have not. It's a uh, Pedro Almodovar film that came out a couple years back, a Spanish Spanish language film, and it, in my opinion. Because it came out the same year as Parasite, and it got nominated in the Best Foreign Film category. But Parasite, of course, swept, rightfully so, that year. But if it didn't, I, I really feel like Pain and Glory would have won the Best Foreign Picture at the Academy Awards that year. But yeah, Pain and Glory, stars Antonio Banderas, great film. And there's been a couple other things. It seems like he's trying to make kind of a comeback. I'm, I'm happy to see him. I miss him. Yeah, I do too. It's been, you know, he's, he's one of those people, like, he was, he was in, like, a very, like, like, a ton of, like, big Hollywood hits, and then all of a sudden it was, like, 
You're puss in boots. <laughs> you're well, the dad. happened to Mike Myers, right? You're the dad and spy kids. <laughs> well, 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 I mean, the spy kids, the first spy kids was a massive success. I think it's more oh, yeah. like the voice work thing because the same thing happened to Mike Myers. And then he was like, all right, I'm going to have my, I'm going to have my comeback film. And he did love guru. <laughs> <laughs> And now Mike Myers is starting to have a comeback. He's in that new. He's in that new. What's that? The Pentaveret. I saw him watch it. You said you liked it, though, right? Yeah, it's pretty funny. I mean, is it, it him playing every role? Uh, he play. So the Pentaveret is like a group of people that's pretty much the Illuminati, but they're not really evil. They're just like, yeah, we do put out false information, but that's because the world's too stupid. <laughs> so. And they're like, yeah, but uh, they are all played by him. So he plays like a crazy Russian guy. He plays like an old English guy. He plays uh, a very, very Jewish guy. <laughs> but uh, it's pretty good. Like stereotypes or are they actually are they actually funny? No, they're pretty funny. Okay, all right. No, I, yeah, I mean, he, had, he had a comeback. Also, he's in uh, during this comeback. He's also in the movie that came out this weekend, the new David O. Russell film Amsterdam. He's got a small role in that as well. Yeah, I heard that, and uh, apparently he was on a talk show recently talking about wanting to do another Austin Powers before he calls it quits, but I don't know how safe that bet is. <laughs> I think I think it's been too long for another Austin Powers film. Well, we said that about Hocus Pocus, but they pulled it off. Yeah, but Hocus Pocus is dealing with... It's not a spoof film. That's true, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a comedy film dealing with yeah, it's silly, and it has this mythology from a previous film. I mean, that's like saying, yeah, we said the same thing about Top Gun. Top Gun Maverick is like one of the highest-grossing films of all time at this point, right? It's a massive success. It's not so much about making a sequel to something a long time after. It's about making a sequel to a spoof film so long after and trying to bring back those jokes that were really popular in the late 90s and early 2000s. Like two thousand, when when did Goldmember come? Two thousand three. It's been almost twenty years since the last one came out. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, like, who's the last person that laughed at uh, "Oh behave" or "Yeah baby" joke? Me. <laughs> 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 I'm always like, oh wow. <laughs> it's uh, I don't know. There was one part of the Pentaveret show I'm gonna give away just because I fucking loved it so much. They were like. <laughs> Uh, they were in this city, and I guess they actually, uh, in this European city, they have a, uh, um, the fuck am I trying to say? It was like an ogre and troll festival or something mm. like that. So, uh, he's right, uh, I, I'm not going to fill you in because it'll take too long to explain this. So he is a Canadian newscaster who is currently being chased by the Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> And during the troll festival, um, the, the Sasquatch runs into one of the people dressed as a troll, but it's Shrek. And he goes, this is my swamp. And he's like, thank you so much, Shrek. I don't know why that's so funny. That was not the joke. That's the whole joke. <laughs> now that I say it out loud, it's like not that funny. <laughs> Shrek is love. Shrek is life. <laughs> uh, but yeah, interview with a vampire, pretty good. Yes, <laughs> it is. Uh, it 
It really is. Um, and I really like how they do like this. Uh, you know, it's a 1910s. Uh, and, you know, uh, Louis is playing as a, you know, he's a, a black guy in the 1910s in New Orleans and, you know, doing his best to keep his family doing well. And he's like one of the only well-to-do uh, like black people in the area. And he's uh, running a bunch of horror houses. And his brother, though, is like extremely religious and also has uh, mental difficulties. So, but it's really good. And uh, the actors, the same guy who plays Grey Worm in Game of Thrones, and he was great as Grey Worm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he, he's been killing it as Louis so far. Awesome. Lestat is really well. Sam Reed, I think, is his name. Is the uh, is the show still really gay? Like, does it still have like all the gay subtext from the books and the movie, the original movie? It is no longer subtext, sir. No, it's just oh, it's just straight up. Oh yeah, no, they like okay, they cool. are, they even acknowledge the fact that they're a couple in it. So it's no, that's cool. awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, cool. So, uh, yeah, they and, had the first episode up on Shutter. They have like a preview of where they just put the first episode only on Shutter. So you probably need to watch it put it out. It, yeah, because yeah, whenever you go on it, it's like here's the first episode, and then in the description, it's like here's a promo code <laughs> to put in to get a subscription for AMC Plus. It's like you bastard. <laughs> you <laughs> got same me company. again. Yeah, same company that the same parent company that owns AMC also owns Shutter. So. Um, I don't know if it's MGM or I'm not, I'm not sure what I don't know. I don't know what. Maybe TCM, probably TCM. Just one of them. I think so. I I did watch a really fun movie on Shutter last night. And that was Deadstream. Oh, I wanted to watch. Yeah, I just saw that there, and I've been wanting to watch that uh, since I saw it yesterday. So. Yeah, I it watched. Reminded me last kind night. of host in a way. Uh, it is way goofier than host. It is in a good way. And I mean that a complete respectable way. It is made by a married couple, uh, Joseph. And uh, let me look up his wife's name because I don't want to discredit her. Um, but he's the star of it as well. He, he, he's the star of it and the co-director. Uh, Joseph and Vanessa Winter. Uh, it's a married couple that co-directed the film. They're also directing one of the segments in the new VHS that's coming out this month. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Okay. And it's, you know, it, I love VHS. I, I like the, except for viral. <laughs> I like, yeah, I like viral the sucked. And you know me with found footage. And it goes with this as well, because this is a found footage movie that I am not a fan unless it's handled a, a particular way. But this movie is really well handled where you can tell everything that's going on at every moment. It's not like, oh, no, something scary is happening, and they didn't know how to shoot it, so they just kind of shake the camera violently and just like, what the fuck am I supposed to be looking at? There's so many cameras in play because since it's now, and uh, the, the, the plot is that he plays, Joseph Winter plays a disgraced YouTube, uh, YouTube, what, what's the word? YouTuber, YouTuber, but uh, um, influencer. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. He had a really, really popular channel that apparently they say in the movie got more views than PewDiePie, 
And he's this character, I can't remember his show's name, but it was basically him going, he's like, I'm the biggest coward ever. And I go and I'll do things that scare me. <laughs> it's me facing my fears. And they're like ridiculous things that can range from like, oh, jump, like parachuting all the way to like running from the cops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he goes and he like hits a cop and runs away and stuff. And then he got caught up eventually in some kind of sexual harassment suit or something like that that defamed him. And this is kind of his comeback where he's trying to make like, I'm going to go to the most haunted house, this infamous haunted house, and I'm going to stay at night in it. And I'm going to I'm going to stream it live. Oh, basically like Twitch. Yeah. And he's like, this is going to be my big comeback. And he goes there and he pulls the spark plugs out of his car and he goes in the house and he padlocks the do- front door to the house and drops the key down a vent. And he's like, cause I know me, I'm just going to try to run off. And since it's now, and you have all this modern technology, he's able to set up all these cameras. He has a camera in uh, a first person camera in his helmet. And he also has a camera that he's carrying that's on a pad. And with the flick of his monitor on his wrist, he's able to kind of switch to both. So you have multiple angles. So if one goes out, you're still able to see it. And there's also really fun things they do with different camera angles that I won't spoil that are really fun as well. But the best way I can kind of describe this movie is this is if Sam Raimi or Peter Jackson made a found footage movie in the 90s. That sounds awesome. It gets it, it takes a while for it to get like for the craziness to kind of happen. Mm-hmm. But the whole time is really funny. Like I and I think a bunch of people on Letterbox, some people bring up a good point that really depends on if you like this character or if you don't. If you find him annoying, you aren't gonna like the movie. But if you find this character funny, then you're probably gonna enjoy it. And I did find it funny. I found the humor funny, and I found it be just a generally fun film, especially once things get crazy and you start seeing the monsters and you start seeing the violence in it and kind of the fun they're happening with everything. And it's very silly and it's definitely feels like dead alive. <laughs> it's like no, dead alive but found fun. <laughs> you know? So it's a really fun watch. I really enjoyed it. I'm interested in seeing what they do the winners do in this in their segment in the new vhs vhs is it 99 or was that the last 99. one that came out yeah what's the last one that came out was that 90 no that's 94 94 94 okay yeah and then they announced that they're doing one that's 88 next year oh even that'll be a badass 88 and robert c cargill uh or c robert cargill who wrote black phone was able to say on Twitter that him and uh, uh, Jesus Christ, I just blanked on his name. <laughs> uh, the director of black phone, Jesus Christ. I can look it up. Uh, they have a segment in it. So that's pretty fun. Now the director, Jesus Christ, I can't remember his name, director of black phone and Dr. Strange and sinister. Scott Derrickson. Scott Derrickson. Scott Derrickson and Robert Cargill, who wrote those movies with uh, Scott Derrickson, have a segment in next year's VHS that they shot a secret. So I'm excited to see what they're doing with it. Especially since they're like pretty high profile now, kind of going and doing a little segment for VHS. I think that's fun. Usually it's these up-and-coming filmmakers. Yeah, really. Yeah, they, they really... Uh... 
I don't know, like those first two ones, like they they resonate. Like those are really good ones and a, a lot of people's like first real shot, I think. Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up. I'm happy that you said something because I was thinking about it while driving around this week. Um, because I was re-listening to some parts of our podcast before, just seeing how it sounded. It was talking about Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett, where we were talking about the guests. Not last episode, but the episode before that. But you realize VHS, the segments that were made during that first VHS were Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett, who we talked about on our guest episode, who also did Who's Next?, Ty West <laughs> had a segment on there. Yep. David Bruckner, who put out Hellraiser this weekend, and Radio Silence, who did Ready or Not and the Scream, the Scream movie that came out this year and the sequel that's coming out next year. I mean, that's those guys were people that were just up and coming. They're all now very important voices in the horror genre. Yeah, and kind of thanks to VHS. Like Yeah, for sure. It definitely gives a launching pad to a lot of careers, and I really like that. Uh-huh. Well, uh, should we go ahead and uh, prepare and get our? Yep, yep. I think that is uh, that's most of the stuff that I watch. Uh, all the important stuff. So, alrighty. Then uh, I guess uh, by the listener standpoint, we will fast forward to the future. Yes. Eight, eight minutes. <laughs> back to the future. All right. We'll be back. All right. All right, and we're back with our interview. Today, our guest is a filmmaker, a writer, dancer. He has a clothing line. He is making a new horror short that he's currently funding called He's Watching You, which is centered on black queer couple that is being stalked by a slasher. And we're going to be delving deep into that today. Please Enjoy our conversation with Isaiah Rice. Oh, How are wow. you, man? I'm good. Thank you for that. That just made me feel so, like, good. <laughs> like, okay, like, all those different things. Thank you. I, like, I feel like that's the introduction I'm going to listen to anytime I feel, like, really sucky about myself. I'm just going <laughs> to listen to that introduction and just be like, I'm the shit. No. You're creating. You're creating things, man. I mean, we feel like that with every like uh podcast we have with all like two viewers. So <laughs> it's fine. It's so fine. It's so fine. <laughs> yeah. Man, and, and, and you have your apparel on today. You have an out shirt on. Yeah, I do. I do. You know, like anytime I feel like I'm going to be talking to to people um about anything that I'm doing, if I can kind of do a quick little um, shameless plug. <laughs> you know, no, yeah. Well, speaking oh, of shameless plugs, let me get a picture of this so we all have we can throw up your shirt on the clothing line or the oh, Instagram. For there sure. We go. For sure. No, nice. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, being our you're, you're our second guest on the podcast. Um, so thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And uh, we're always wanting to talk to up-and-coming people that have projects they want to promote and new voices in the genre and and definitely not only people that are fans but people that are creating and not only the genre but have other things and i think that's very interesting that you do have the clothing line and that you are making movies and you are making these moves and all that and i think that's really interesting i would like to delve into both so <laughs> so uh, where should we start um 
let's say let, let's 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 start at the beginning. Where where okay. were your uh where was the start for you with horror? Where was like the first thing that spoke to you in horror? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I've I've loved horror ever since I was a kid. Um, I actually grew up on watching horror movies. Like it was this very kind of weird family um, tradition in regards to like how we spend time together. It will be family coming together and watching really gory horror movies. <laughs> That's the way to do it, <laughs> right? Like family <laughs> um, Yeah, like. I remember being like, what, gosh, uh, what, maybe like four years old or three years old, honestly. And I remember the first official horror movie I saw was actually in theaters and um, it was Scream. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. That's a great first (laughs) one. I want to see a four years old. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Yeah. The movie came out in 1996 and I was born in 93. So I I distinctively remember being in the movie theater and watching it with my parents. And I don't know if if that's me kind of telling on them, like saying, oh, wow, bad period. Why letting your three-year-old watch a rated R movie? But that's just kind of what it was. Uh, I've heard of worse parents. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's just what it was. My parents were just were very kind of open in regards to letting me watch these movies, maybe because I was a boy. I don't know. But um, I, I saw Scream, fell in love with that, and then fell in love with other horror movies that I would watch with my family, um, especially all the ones from the 90s. So, like, um, like I said, Scream, I Know What You Did Last Summer, The Faculty, Urban Legends, um like just even the you know the nightmare on elm streets the uh jason friday the 13th Candyman. um they just let me watch them and i just remember just watching them as a kid and just like any horror fan like really just being entertained (laughs) (laughs) yeah sure (laughs) really just being entertained and, and and just being like wow like this idea of, of whether it's a real live person um, who's trying to kill you or whether it's the supernatural, it just kind of felt entertaining and, and different for me. And it, it was, and it was kind of fun to kind of step into this world where no matter how scary it was, I knew at the end, end of the day, I was going to be okay. Cause it's just a movie. So mm-hmm. right. Absolutely. And I, I think that's interesting also that, that you bring up, the point of like taking like at that age of course, like most of us, right. whenever you're a kid or like through high school, usually just kind of taking a face value. But at right. what age? And it is something that I, I feel is going to definitely come up a lot later on as we're talking about your work. Yeah. Is when did you start noticing subtext in horror films? Mm. So I feel like honestly, I didn't I, I didn't start noticing subtext fully probably not uh, until like college mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and i think and i think that's because so i took i took this um film class in college mm-hmm. and it's called it's called um white redemption and basically the whole class we studied films and we studied how people of color, uh, predominantly how black people, um, have been viewed and kind of stereotyped within film and how that's kind of created a bit of a, um, a negative, a negative image, right? Because media 
conversation. And so like just kind of taking that general um, idea of being conscious of how people of color are portrayed in films, regardless of the genre, um, I took that notion and I looked at horror. And then, you know, Jordan Peele came out, right, with, with mm-hmm. Get Out and Us. And really, Jordan Peele really kind of opened that door, I think, for really kind of making room at the table and mm-hmm. creating these conversations, but doing it in a way where people of color, uh, Black people, really could be like, wow, like, I have a space to be in a horror film. Mm-hmm. And not the stereotypical, oh, the black person dies first, or mm-hmm. the only one token black person in the film. And, you know, it felt very much like normalized. Sure. Kind of like those two things, kind of what I what I took from kind of studying film a little bit in, in college in regards to how people of color are portrayed, and then really being inspired by what Jordan Peele has done. Um, has did rather um, and is continuing to do um, really has uh, brought me to the point that that I'm at now. I think it's interesting that that you have somebody that I mean Jordan Peele, especially with somebody that with it being so recent, that that there's always been that thing in, in horror for years and years where yeah. there's always been you know focus on different social issues or whatever. But having not only Jordan Peele come on say those messages, but on such a mainstream level, right, <laughs> right? right, that was right. the thing. And putting out a movie like I, I, I would, I, I imagine that's only because of his background with his history with Mad TV and 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 right. you know, Peele and all that is why a studio would greenlight it. But I feel like if anybody else would have given that pitch to a oh, mainstream yeah. <laughs> to a mainstream corporation, be like, "Here's my film pitch for this movie," and yeah. telling them get out, they'd be like, "No way in fuck are we doing that?" Right? Yeah. <laughs> What? Like no way, no way are we gonna are we gonna bring up these things that are very kind of real in in society and culture, but it's kind of through the subtext of things. And um, I feel like that's what really kind of attracted me to to his work. Um, I definitely am manifesting that hopefully one day I'll be able to work with him on something. But um, yeah. <laughs> he's um, he's awesome. But yeah, like that's really where I kind of got to the point of wow, like how can we create these stories or how can I create these stories and be a part of stories that are really kind of breaking the glass ceiling on representation um, and doing it in a way to where we haven't seen it before in regards to horror. Um, and I, Cause I feel like even for me growing up, like watching these horror films, I love them. Right. But I still remember, I never really saw a lot of people who look like me and identify mm-hmm. like I did. Mm-hmm. And so when I did see someone who at least looked like me, it was kind of like, oh, that's so cool. You know, like, oh, you know, they, especially right. if they survive in, in the end, right? Like, um, I remember, you know, watching stuff like Scream 2. Um, mm-hmm. Jada Pika Smith was in it. Um, <laughs> remembering, I still know what you did last summer. Brandy was in that. Right. You know? yeah. um, Halloween H2O, LL Cool J was in there, you know, so... Um, he sure was, I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> He's got that, it's better than Busta Rhymes of Resurrection where he karate kicks Michael into right. a nail. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so, like, thinking about when you do kind of see people who look like you in these films, it's kind of like, oh, that that's that's so cool. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I just felt like I wanted to see more of it, but more of it in a way that was uh, normalized. I feel like sometimes earlier on when it came to Black bodies and horror, it became very stereotypical because filmmakers were thinking this is the only space we can put Black people in. For example, Leprechaun in the Hood. Our life life films like, you know, zombies versus the Crips with a Z. Like, it's very kind of like stereotypical things. And for me, it's kind of like, well, people of color can also just exist in this very normalized, regular, everyday, um, these everyday kind of scenarios, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, just just make it make it normal. Don't have don't you don't have to add on those kind of stereotypical things to make it relevant. And going back to Jordan Peele, I think he does such a good job of that because I feel like you watch his films and it's like. You feel like you're, oh, I'm just watching a horror film. I'm, I'm not watching, oh, this is a black horror film. It's right. just a horror film that just right. have black people as leads. So mm-hmm. I feel like that, that's how you normalize things. And even with what I'm trying to do, if he's watching you, um, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming to do that in regards to race and sexuality as well. So. Right, absolutely. And, and to your point also with uh, with seeing representation of films, it can even come with something like, you know, the 90s uh, with Candyman, right? Yeah. Where it's like, oh, people felt this was super progressive at the time. It deals with gentrification and all that. But the, the thing with Jordan Peele is that the original Candyman wasn't directed by a black voice or written by a black voice. Right. It's also about a black character whose whole drive is – Revenge because of a white woman, right? Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. like the interesting thing about the new Candyman that right. Jordan Peele produced is that it did have a black female director exactly. and black writers on it, and it dealt with this kind of generational racism, which right. made it a lot more interesting kind of yeah. expanding yeah. of this mythology, right? Agreed, one hundred percent. Like, I mean, I the the Candyman remake was just so good. I was, it was. I was mm-hmm. definitely. Very what their spin on it was going to be being that in the first film it was very much centered around this white female protagonist mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and and her being um the the gentrification and the projects was very much the background and the focus was still kind of on this this white female character white woman and what i did like about this remake was that it was still so scary it was still really mm-hmm. scary oh yeah but, the, but they they brought on the reason why Candyman is a thing is because of things like police brutality. Right. And yeah. The original was just another form of brutality toward people of color, but in each new generation, it's the same thing, just different kind of story. Uh, and so, yeah, one hundred percent agree with you. I think it's like really kind of tying these things and whether you're saying the message very aggressively or whether you're saying it strongly, I think there's an art in being able to still scare people mm-hmm. and still create room at the table for marginalized identities. Absolutely. And I think that's the interesting thing about the genre, right? Is that it's, why it's so consistent is that, yeah, you're getting in like, you know, your high school kids and all that, they just want the jump scares and then they'll watch everything else. It's a slow burn horror and call it stupid. But <laughs> everything after that, the older you get is that 
in all horror, and it's always been there, is always that subtext, and those social messages are always kind of there under the surface. Yeah, very And much. I'm sure that's influenced you a lot as a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, no, it, 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 it definitely has. I think, I think with what I'm trying to do with He's Watching You, I, I would say, because um, when people originally, like, when some people, when they read the script and kind of heard about the idea, like, the first thing they went to was Jordan Peele. Mm. Uh, and seeing the trailer, they went to Jordan Peele. And, you know, I definitely did, you know, appreciate it, because, like I said, Jordan Peele is awesome. But I think what is different from He's Watching You um, compared to maybe um, Jordan Peele films is that with Jordan Peele films, there's a there's a message there. There, there, there. There's something there. It's either very clear or you may have to kind of get real analytical and dig into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something there about race. There's something there about society. There's something there about cultural norms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what you kind of really kind of take away from it. And I think that's great and that's beautiful. Um, with He's Watching You, I didn't want the focus to be centered on their sexuality and I didn't mm-hmm. want it to be centered on their race. And I said that because with a lot of queer films, a lot of the times our queer characters in films, a lot of the times their storyline is literally centered around their whole sexuality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like someone's sexuality is literally only like 10% of their whole identity. So with that being said, like, you could have these characters be in different scenarios and different situations that have nothing to do with their sexuality. And for me, I wanted to do that because I wanted people to watch it and be like, yeah, I know they're they're gay, but I'm not even thinking about their sexuality. I'm connecting to who they are as characters, to who they are as people, to who they are in this, you know, this terrifying situation. Like, I would, you know, I would be afraid in this moment, too. So it's like, I feel like that's another way you normalize something by just kind of not being, like, making that identity part so loud, but mm-hmm. on the other very human characteristics and traits that people, you know, can relate to. That's I think that's such an important thing to do, because, you know, as you said, like, there's so many marginalized groups who don't uh, get enough uh, attention in these and you know, when they do, it's only something that, you know, they try and focus on that exactly when it's yeah. like, they're just other people. Like, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to uh, specifically be like, oh, this cult's, you know, attacking you because this or that or that. It's just, yeah. you're a person who is in a horrible situation. And, yeah. you know, I think that's very important, the kind of stuff like, you know, creators like you are doing with that. For sure, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting also with that being said is that that, you know, you put any author is always going to put a bit of or creator is going to put a bit of themselves into right. what they're making. Yeah, like that you're making something that you put yourself into, but it's just what you're afraid of. It's not yeah. about one. I want to bring a focus to this specifically, but just like, no, I just kind of put myself into it. And this is how I would react or this is how what what is something that. I'm afraid what happened, or this is a fear, and this is me working it and having my voice heard on that. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I think, I think just, just me, because some things you can just do subtle, but sometimes mm-hmm. the subtle things are so strong. I think just me saying that this is a 
black queer grindhouse slasher are mm-hmm. is centering centering around a black queer couple. I feel like that's enough, and it's enough because we don't see it. You know, right. like, mm-hmm. we we were just now like I like I was speaking on earlier. I think we're just now kind of being able to kind of see people of color, black people, in these um, horror situations, and it's normalized. And I think mm-hmm. once again, Jordan Peele kind of peeled back that 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 door. So. We're still trying to show that representation, but now we're adding on sexuality to it as well. It's kind of like it's like a double whammy, right? <laughs> right uh, sure. Like, yeah. What was like? Oh no! Now we're talking about we're talking about horror. We're talking about a slasher. We're talking about you know these um, crazy situations, but now we're talking about it being focused around two black men in love. Mm-hmm. It, that's even a contradiction, I think, within itself with how Black men have been portrayed in television and how I think there's still, just outside of horror, right, there's still, I feel like, such a way, I think, that Black queer men are, are, are that we're fighting for in regards to representation um, mm-hmm. on film. Um, and I always tell people when I when I when I get into this this topic, I always tell people to kind of break it down to them. I'm like, go on Netflix, go on Tubi, go on any major streaming service, go to their LGBT section. Mm-hmm. When you scroll through their movies, who do who do you predominantly see? And right. You'll see predominantly white men. Mm-hmm. And so it's like even within the queer space, it's still there's still room for diversity and representation. And so I say that to say, I think that's the biggest thing I'm really wanting. He's watching you to hit on, but to do it in a way where it's not preaching, it's not trying to teach a lesson. It's just, Oh, they just happen to be black, a black queer couple in this really fucked up uh, situation. Not only that, the tagline black queer grindhouse uh, slasher is just a really badass tagline. (laughs) I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. you know, no, nobody wants to feel pandered to, right? You don't want to be like, you know, put it in there and, and, you know, have it to where the audience feels like it's pandered to as far as you just want it to feel natural. We're just like it's here, it's not drawing attention to itself, and that's fine. I mean, it's kind of like the same thing with like uh, I think that there's a misconception of like that, like who the fuck? I, I'm a white guy, so it doesn't fucking like matter with this, right? <laughs> but but like feminism in in films, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Where where big studios love just writing characters that are female that just have all power and no conflict, right? Yeah. No no struggle to you know. There's no arc. It's just they're super powered because, you know, women get it done, right? Yeah, they'd yeah. be like, yeah, these women are great because they're acting like men. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. that's sure. They're wanting, I guess. <laughs> and I was talking to my barber yesterday, and she was kind of explaining how she doesn't like that because she feels like she's being pandered to. She's like, I want my characters just to be characters and just to be people. I don't yeah. want to feel like a studio is making a film where it's like, oh, they have the cheat code to be amazing. Like, I want them to have struggle. I want them to have things and just have happen to be a woman that's fucking right. fine <laughs> right yeah yeah it's real it's real life it's real life experiences yeah so, so uh, 
Oh, go on, go on Rock. Oh, I was going to say, like, uh, would you say with He's Watching You, is there any, like, specific movies that, like, really were inspired you to be like, you know what, I kind of want to do the slasher. I want to go for a slasher. Like, Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so definitely, um, because it's 1980s inspired, so definitely the slashers from the 1980s. Um, you know, I really loved what American Horror Story 1984 did, how they kind of paid tribute to like the slashers and stuff like that. So I really wanted I, I really wanted it to have an 80s grindhouse feel, because once again, when we look back at all those slasher movies from the 80s, the main couples are blonde hair, blue eyes. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all the time, you know? So mm-hmm. in my head, I'm thinking, what would that look, what would that aesthetic look like, that cinematic kind of feel look like? And it's just kind of on black bodies. And I was like, that would look so different, you know? And and and, and just stylistically. Mm-hmm. And, um, so definitely the slasher films from the 1980s, um, The Strangers, um, definitely oh, yeah. as well, like the, the whole home invasion um, inspired me, um, so definitely the, the, the Strangers, um, you know, a little bit of, you know, Scream was kind of like the first official horror movie I saw, so a little bit of Scream, I mean, one of the main characters, the character I'm playing in the film, his name is Sidney, so. Okay, yeah, yeah. pretty good reference, yeah, (laughs) good nod. Yeah, 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 so, you know, um, but mainly, mainly definitely the 1980s slasher Grindhouse films, uh, you know, Rob Zombie, um, he's not 80s, but I do like his grindhouse aspect yeah. brought to his films. Yeah, especially um, total throwbacks to that, right? In the same way, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I would say those are the those are the main the main ones. Well, that's awesome because I know. Uh, and with the killer, is it just kind of like along the lines of the the strangers kind of thing? Like it's because you were home kind of thing, or is it? Uh, a motivated killer or is it yeah yeah so it's definitely there's definitely some motivation to it i think that the ending kind of gives the audience a bigger like oh like a question mark like it, 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 it there's more that's being discovered about this killer why he's doing it the reason behind it to where it's not just you know a psychopath just randomly killing people like right there's something a little bit more to it because once again, he is recording. Right. Um, and so definitely there's a little bit more to it, but with it being a short film, I wanted to, I wanted to end it. I wanted to end it just on it, on a, on a way of just having the audience be like, wow, like I want to see more or I want to know what happens next. Um, so yeah. Yeah. You want to make it, uh, you want that calling card quality to it. Yeah. 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 So is it something you think you might plan on uh, continuing a series with, like continuing on with stories with the killer? Or is it just kind or, of one or of making a feature wanna... length? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I think in a in, in a perfect world, what the what the, the dopest goal would be for this, mm-hmm. um, of course, to make it and then submit it to some like really major film festivals. Mm. And in, in a perfect world, if someone like a um, at A24. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're hopping on this because we, like, this is already different. It already has that grindhouse feel, and it's already complex because it's 
two, it's a black queer couple, and I feel like A24, they're, they're attracted to things outside the box, like just oh, very, sure. like very riveting. And, and they seem to be very open to telling very um, uh, diverse um, stories as well. So like in a perfect world, at A24 or Jordan Pilgrim, um being like wow like this is really dope like we would love to have this be a full like film so i, I want to go about it that way because i feel like for me the short film the quality of the short film is to attract major eyes and major production companies hopefully so it's mm-hmm. where if it does become a, a, a full movie or a series um all that heavy lifting in the work is on them because they want to invest in it right so, I'm right. kind of a little strategic on it because a lot of people are being like, oh, why don't you just make it a, a full feature? And I'm like, eh, that, that's money. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of trying to get, get you know, budgets. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I just felt like a short film felt more quicker and easier and more attainable for me to do. Oh, absolutely. Especially with like just the amount of money that even goes into a short film. Like, right. And I mean, I assume... Uh, like do you uh, i mean you got like at least have to have like uh makeup or costuming people and everything yeah. like that and then the yeah. ca- you know cameras that yeah. don't suck unless yeah. you're making found footage <laughs> exactly exactly and that going and that even goes back to the whole campaign like yes it's a short film but i'm still um running this campaign um to help raise funds for it because i mean no, it's not a multi-million dollar project, but it's still, you know, like you just said, it to, to, to have a quality um, DP and makeup and, um, you know, just having the site and the, you know. Oh, well, yeah. I, mean, that comes I with assume it. you had to rent the area, right? Like, I did. I did. We, so when we shot the trailer, that was a one-night shoot. So I, I, I got an Airbnb, uh, a cabin Airbnb for like two days, um, and we just shot it that, that second night. Um, and we were just going through it, so yeah, it all, it all, it all costs. It all costs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got, you got to spend money to make money, right? Right. <laughs> but, but I think, I think the, the with the, with the short film, yeah. And other than it being kind of this calling card to kind of be like, hey, here's what I can do. I did this. I have my drive and all that. It also feels like the purest kind of like, there's nobody getting involved other than the creator there's no studio there's nothing there it feels just kind of like this you is my project yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's such a pure reflection of the artist right yeah yeah no like 100 percent. i actually have been um have been um asked and and yeah i basically been asked like oh like would you want to show this to this production company um, if you do, you're going to need to kind of have to write it out a little bit longer, um, you know, whether it's like the first 30 minutes of the film or maybe a pilot episode, um, would you want to do this? And I and I said no, because mm-hmm. I felt like basically they were trying to have me sell the script. And I was like, no, because I feel like if I sell the script, if I do something like that, they're going to they they have the power to turn it around and be like, OK, well, instead of a black queer couple, we're just going to make this a white queer couple or we're going to make this a straight couple. You know, like they right. can do what they want. And so for me, those two things cannot. They, non-negotiable. They, non-negotiable. Because then it just defeats the purpose. Absolutely. Yeah, right. In the first place. 
Yeah, it's like, did you think about giving him like a uh, monkey as a sidekick or something? And yeah. he's like, fuck no, like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like my movie alone. <laughs> right? Or let's 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 make it where he's killing them because they're 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 uh, gay or they're queer. Or this person only kills black people. That come on, like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to do any of that. I just like he's not killing them because of their sexuality or their race. It, it, they just happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. Right, just like strangers. We're just like, yeah, it's just because. And that, that's always scarier. It has nothing to do with who you are. Sometimes just where you are, the wrong place at the wrong time. That's scary. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Uh, but this isn't your first short, though, right? You 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 made shorts before. Yeah, yeah. I made, I made shorts before. I made two before. This is the first one where I feel like it's a big, no, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna say a bit. I'm not going to say a bit. It's definitely a higher budget, and there's a lot more into it in regards to who I'm choosing to work with and their background. Mm-hmm. I feel like my first two short films are very much kind of like, you know, t- to my friends, hey, guys, like, you got a camera? I have an idea. Let's just do it. Like, okay, cool, you know? Right. Uh, and so you just kind of you kind of do it. But I feel like the subject matters of everything that I've always spoken about anything that I've, like, wrote, uh, it's always been centered around blackness and queerness. Um, mm-hmm. the, the storyline is different, but it's always kind of, it's still always centered around it. Um, I kind of wanted that to kind of be the same kind of throughout. Now, I feel like now that I'm kind of dipped into horror, I feel like I'm definitely kind of getting more into the more thriller suspense route, but... Mm-hmm. Definitely to start off like that. Right, right. Everything was those first couple were just like learning experiences and just yeah. to kind of get to this point and something that reflects you more as an artist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, were you about to say something, Blaze? Yeah, I, I, I was going to ask, like, so, so what was kind of your casting process for this? Like, did you actually have auditions or did you contact people you wanted for it? Or yeah yeah so i did have an audition process like i did put out um a casting call on actors access um and you know there were some actors who submitted and turned in their their tapes and everything and then there was one actor who submitted um and you know i saw i saw his tape and i thought i was like huh he plays he plays ryan um he plays ryan pretty 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 well and um, so we uh, actually had a, a chemistry read. Like, I had a chemistry read with him because I just wanted to, like, meet him in person and kind of mm-hmm. um, see what his um, vibe was and everything like that. And so we did the chemistry read. And it was just – it just felt spot on. Like, it felt, like, kind of very natural. And I think for, for a, a project like this where there's literally only – people for the most part you know i mean it's it's centered around a couple so you're not going to have a whole mm-hmm. a whole large cast it's going to be pretty intimate. and so for me it was really important um that i work with someone who can tap into the character but of course also someone who i have a really good energy with and, right. and we can kind of really showcase this couple um in a very authentic manner right you want you want to buy the relationship exactly you want to buy the relationship if you don't want to look at them and be like, oh, this looks fake, you can tell they, <laughs> you can tell they really <laughs> don't love each other. Because like even with the film, it's a film within itself, but it's also dealing with other things too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, kind mm-hmm. of like a 
there, there's a there's story A and there's story B, right? Story A, of course, is trying to survive this serial killer. Mm-hmm. Um, story B is why are we even at the cabin? We're trying to rekindle our broken relationship. What mm-hmm. happened that made it broken? Um, Sydney's character, my character, he is a recovering addict, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, what does that look like um, to be in a relationship with someone who were in a relationship with them? You know, they were in law school. And so just that whole dynamic and strain and then what kind of happened while they were um, separated, you know? Um, what Ryan did and how what Ryan did while they were separated now affects Sydney this moment. So it's like, yes, it's a horror film, but you're also being able to kind of see the dynamics of this relationship, of these characters, and just what they mean to each other, but also the the challenges they put on each other as well. And I think at that moment, people can be like, oh, I've been Sydney in this relationship, or mm-hmm. I've been Ryan in this relationship, regardless of sexuality, right? Right. So that's kind of like another subtle goal that I'm trying to do. But to your point of the casting, um, yeah, I did casting, did um, a chemistry read, and it was it was it was it was good. It was, it was awesome. That is always like I'm always interested to hear about things like that, and it's I th- I think it's uh, also cool that you're covering something like past addiction and stuff like that. And yeah. It's like, and. Uh, you know, and and it's something that doesn't really get old because it's such a, a relatable circumstance in a relationship yeah. where yeah. there's like some kind of a, you know elephant in the room right. situation, mm-hmm. and how they develop past that. And uh, yeah. so, my next question is: if this gives away too much of the movie, I, I'm just curious: is it is it kind of like you know the killer in the survival is something that's that's building them back up together like is it something or is it something that's like no I, we're saving ourselves like fuck you, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I think I think I think on a, on a general on a general level I feel like traumatic situations do have a way of bringing people close together absolutely but traumatic situations when it's in regards to your survival, how can you get close to someone who might die? I don't know. Like, I don't know. So hopefully that's a bit of a... A mystery. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. I'll leave gotcha. That <laughs> yeah. I, uh, and, and also, so we can plug it, um, with you, as you mentioned, that you're trying to uh, get crowdfunding for and all that, uh, where can people, if they want to help or donate, where would they go to? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Did you just uh, launched a campaign on the third, correct? Yes, I just launched it on the third. So tomorrow it will be a week. Um, we've been able to get some donations and stuff like that. Um, so if people would like to donate, it's through Seed and Spark. Um, he's watching you, Seed and Spark campaign. Um, I, I can definitely also uh, send you the link as well. Yes, um, please, because we're gonna we're gonna post it as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll the link they can click on that. But um, yeah, the uh, actual um, campaign site is Seed and Spark. Okay, cool, awesome. And uh, is do you have a thing where um, 
is there a tear kind of um, donation thing? Yeah. Where you yeah, yeah. So there's basically um, if you donate a certain amount, um, each amount has a different incentive. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, a um, $25 um, pledge um, donation mm-hmm. <laughs> is, you know, like a like a, sh- a shout out um, and, you know, a shout out on the credits and also on social media. Um, $50 is um, your own personal missing um, poster flyer along with, you know, a shout out and things along those lines. Um, you know, a hundred dollars is you get, you know, a copy of the script signed by me and the actual digital mood board of all the pictures that we took from the shooting of the trailer that no one's really seen. So there's different, there's different incentives. There's, you know, if you um, donate like, um, $1,000, that's like a associate producer credit on IMDb. So there's a variety of things. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you have something else, Blaze? Uh, well, I mean, mainly I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm very appreciative to have people uh, like you, speak, you know, kind of putting out this normalization of things that, you know, uh, in the positions that, you know, like me and Rock here, and you know, sometimes it's 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 things you don't even think about, and you're like, you know, just something where it's like, I don't know. Yet, and to say that you know, we're obviously in life, you know, have the that place of privilege, and and it's not something we, you know, it's it's something that needs to be more out there, and I just really appreciate it when somebody's trying to uh, open that and show that and normalize that yeah yeah no for sure i i I definitely do appreciate that i think uh i don't know i feel like it's always one of those things i think about and it's kind of like you know somebody kind of has to take that first step doing it Mm -hmm. um i mean that's really kind of how i got acting and filmmaking because i actually was growing up i was a dancer like if you would have told me like three or four years ago that I was going to be into acting and film, I'll probably be like, what? what are you talking about? I'm about to be on tour. Like I'm going to go back and be with somebody on tour and be music videos. Cause I mean, I was even a dance major in college mm-hmm. and, and I remember um, I was talking to a former, a former professor, the same professor who was the professor of the film class that I mentioned earlier, um, white redemption that I took in college. Right. I, I was talking to him a couple of years ago and I remember I was talking to him and I was just like, you know, like, I feel like I never really get to see a lot of images of like black queer men in like these very normalized positive lights. Like it's always either extremely over sexualized or um, are like really traumatic. It's never just like normal. Um, and he was like, okay, so are you going to continue to complain about it or what are you doing to change it? Mm-hmm. And when he said that to me, it kind of hit me like really heavy because the last thing I wanted to be was that person who's consistently talking about issues, but literally not, not, mm-hmm. not just not doing anything. And so I was like, you know what? I, 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 I do enjoy film. I enjoy acting. I'm always like, oh, what if there was a version of this? And that really was the seed that got planted in my head that made me get into um, filmmaking 
in, in, in action. I mean, that, that's just awesome. And uh, what a professor. And uh, <laughs> so, so I, I did actually, I, I was more curious, like, so, so uh, when you went to dance, so was that kind of like your, your goal was to be like a dancer for say like a pop star or something like that? Pretty much, yeah. Pretty yeah. Much. I thought, uh, you know, like I said, um, a pop star, R&B star. Um, I just thought I was going to be on tour in music videos and just traveling the world. You know, you're going to see me like, I don't know, maybe at a Christina Aguilera concert, maybe dancing behind her or something like at a Las Vegas residency or something. <laughs> Um, but it just, you know, with life, it just, I was starting to feel a little burnt out and film and acting kind of came in at just a really right time. And I just felt like I was still able to really express my love for creativity, my love for performing, because, you know, I, I love dancing because I love to perform. Like I love to make people feel a way. Um, through my performance. And so when I got to film and acting, I realized I could still do that. Um, it almost was kind of like, well, I guess I'm not really missing anything because I'm still doing what I loved about dance. I'm just doing it in a different artistic um, way. And I also feel like in a way, like dancing, or dancing as long as I did, it's prepared me for acting because it, it's, made me understand how to make people feel with their emotions, how to people, um, and how to just connect myself and, and show emotions and, and just do that now as a character rather than dancing it out. <laughs> I mean, that's a really cool, like, uh, like addition to, like, the multiple talents you're, you're showing in this and also the way you can use, like, as you were saying, the emotion of dance and then kind of putting it towards something like character acting. It's very interesting. So, but uh, yeah, that's that was uh, my question. I'm sorry it seemed a little off. I, I was just actually personally curious about it. Oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. You're probably like, honestly, a lot of people don't. I don't speak on that I used to be that, um, that you know, my foundation is dancing, that I grew up dancing, danger, only because I feel like if I do, like, I feel like it will, like, I don't know, like, I, I feel like in this space now, it's, like, very much kind of, like, trying to get people to digest. And so for some people, though, that some people, not all, um, mm -hmm. they'll be like, oh, wait, you're a dancer person? How are you doing this? Like, so, so what are you? Do you really want to do film? Like, you know, so, what do you film? Do you really want to act? But, um... That is a part of me, for sure. You can only be focused on one part of creativity, not multiple ones. Right. <laughs> choose a lane, buddy. <laughs> yeah, right. no. it's, like, it's, it's fucking crazy. It's like, no, you can do whatever you want as long as you express yourself. I mean, we haven't talked too much about, like, even, like, your clothing brand that, that, yeah. that you have and stuff. I mean, you're doing things in multiple ways, you know? You have your – in a lot of different pots, you know? So <laughs> – yeah, I'm a very, um, as my, my friend calls it, she says I'm a very layered person. I'm, a, I'm very layered. I'm not, um, I'm not, I'm not surface level at all. Um, definitely, like, film and acting is definitely at the forefront, uh, um, you know, currently. And then, of course, still my, my other projects, like, with um, my, my clothing line and everything. I feel like that's my, my clothing line is always going to be there. So it's mm -hmm. like, I feel like that's something. 
that's always going to be on the side as I grow, uh, everything like that. But um, I do kind of look back sometimes. I'm just like, yeah, like the dancing and the acting and the clothing line is very, it, it, it's, it's very layered, very layered. Sure. Yeah. I respect it. I like it a lot. <laughs> Anything else to add, Blaze? Well, I I think I'm good here. Um, now we know he is layered like onions and ogres. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shrekking it up. <laughs> Sorry. I, I love Shrek, so I had to bring it back up a second time from our earlier discussion. <laughs> yes, earlier in the episode we talked about it as well. The um, scariest movie on earth, Shrek. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, speaking um, of, if you guys haven't seen it, uh, you said the scariest movie. Um, don't know if you guys see it, but it's really good and extremely gory. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm into that. Terrifier 2. Oh, well, oh man. <laughs> when we get off the, when we get off the recording, we have something very interesting to tell you about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. yeah. We, we, yeah, we can't say too much. You like that. You like the new one. It's been getting pretty good reviews. Yeah, it was. I saw it in theaters on Friday, and um, and I guess I should have mentioned this earlier too. Like, ter- Terrifier was one of the things that kind of inspired me a little bit in the sense of what I liked about the first film was it was very much modern day, mm-hmm. but the way about it felt very eighties grindhouse. Oh yeah, so it was yeah, that's a good like, yeah. So I was like, oh wait, like I want to, I want to do something like that. You know, I want to do it. You know, because he. He's watching you is in current day, but it's 80s inspired in the sense of how it's being shot and stuff mm. like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, I think we're playing a couple places here in Savannah, but yeah, but yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's get all your uh, plugs and then uh, Rocky, do you have the quick fire round question? The quick fire round. We're gonna get your we're gonna get your plugs, and we'd like doing a quick fire round here. We're gonna put a few minutes on the clock, and then we're just gonna ask you a bunch of random questions. Okay. Speed <laughs> round. Just general fun questions, so they get to know you more. All right. Okay. But before that, plug again where they can donate to. He's watching you. Yes, so if you would like to make a pledge, make a donation to He's Watching You, um, if you just even want to share it, you know, with your network, your people, you know, your people, your friends, um, it is Seed and Spark. He's Watching You, Seed and Spark. Um, I'm sure the link, of course, will also be um, in the um, bio of the podcast and everything. But just from a surface level, it's um, He's Watching You, on seed and spark cool and where can they find you at you can find me um on instagram my instagram handle my instagram handle is pretty simple it's just at isaiah rice my first and last name underscore cool all right oh, oh and also if they would like if you want to follow the instagram page for he's watching you um it's at he's watching you film underscore and and where can they find uh do you have a website for for uh your apparel? Oh yes. <laughs> so out of things a plug, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> out apparel, that is my t-shirt line, and it's literally just www.outapparel.net. Awesome. Cool. All right. Uh all right. So we're gonna put three minutes on the clock. Okay. And here we go. Theater or drive-in? 
Say that one more time. <laughs> Beater or drive-in? Drive-in. All right. Uh, will being possessed for a day be fun? Oh, um, no, God, no, 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 no. <laughs> Best concert like- you've been to. <laughs> oh, you might have to repeat that, Rock. Oh, you're laughing. <laughs> Sorry, be- best best concert you've been to. Oh, best concert I've been to. Um, best concert I've been to. I'm gonna just go with the most recent one, and that was the Atlanta Jazz Festival. Ooh, nice, awesome. Celebrity crush. Oh God! Ah, so many. Um, I'm gonna go. Gosh, there's so many. Fuck. Um, Kid Cudi. Okay. Ooh, good one. Yeah. And in X earlier this year. Great yes. movie. We were talking about that early in the episode also. Um, X and Pearl. <laughs> favorite TV show? Favorite TV show. Favorite TV show. Um, favorite TV show? I'm going to say Euphoria right now. All right. Best mainstream pizza chain? Oh, Domino's. Dominoes, all right. Uh, favorite place to visit? Favorite place to visit? Um, I'm going to say somewhere I really want to go, um, and that is Egypt. Oh, cool. me too. I'm yeah. a huge Egyptologist. Blaze loves Egypt. Uh, queso or guac? Queso or guac. Uh, queso. 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 Killers or ghosts? I think I may know where this answer oh. is. <laughs> <laughs> And and on top of that, do you believe in the paranormal? I do. All right. Uh, if you were lost in the desert, which extremity would you eat first? Ooh. Uh, um. Oh my god. That's one um, of blazes. Um. Uh, um. Oh my god. Um. A finger because it's small. That's that's, that's a good, a good start. I, I, I always go. I go with toes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Who's your favorite horror character? Oh, right now I'm gonna go with um my favorite horror character. Guys, there's so that's such a hard question. I'm gonna I'm gonna just go with Candyman. We're gonna go with Candyman. Candyman that is a great character. One. Yeah. Favorite non-horror film. Favorite non-horror film. Mm-hmm. Favorite non-horror film. I'ma say <laughs> I'ma say American Pie. <laughs> okay. All right. Interesting choice. Yeah. And and the last question, Lori Strode or Ellen Ripley? Oh, Lori Strode. There you go. Well, thank you so much, Isaiah, for coming on, man. It was a fun interview. We love learning about the movie. I'm excited to watch it. I've enjoyed Very the photos uh, you put out there. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. It's it's a it's, it's a um, very exciting time. Exciting for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we're definitely going to be posting everything on there. Blaze, you got anything else to add? Uh, no, that's it for me. But uh, do stay on a little bit after we stop recording because I want to tell you that cool fun fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to hear it. I definitely want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Isaiah, and uh, we'd love to have you on again. All right. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, you guys. All right. All right. That is another episode of Bladed Apples. Uh, thanks again to Isaiah Rice for coming on to the show. And, uh, awesome talking time. About, yeah, talking about everything, um, including 
his movie he's watching you um we will be posting the links on instagram and on our facebook to where you can go and you can make a pledge and you can also find new information about the movie and his upcoming projects as well as his clothing line out apparel so that was cool that was a a really good interview i want to have him on another episode in the future though that'd be fun for sure we'll get him kevin everyone else we'll have a big old watch party see how it goes get 78 people on skype (laughs) we can barely handle three (laughs) (laughs) i'll just panic the whole time you'll just hear me sobbing in the background like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but in the meantime if you do want to reach us or you have something to promote you got a movie you got some art you got a clothing line you got something horror adjacent you would like to talk about you can reach us on the instagram at bladed apples podcast or through email bladed apples pod at gmail.com um and i mean not only if you have some promote but if you just want to say hi or you heard an episode and you didn't agree with our opinion on something you can tell us how wrong we are and uh, we'll ignore it but well we'll read it but we'll just pretend it didn't happen <laughs> <laughs> but no, if you have anything to say, we will read it on the lot, uh, on air. Uh, if you have comments, concerns, requests, anything, uh, you can send to us on that. Thanks to Stefan Mize for doing the artwork. Uh, follow him on Instagram at Stefan Mize or a Crawling Panther Tattoo Parlor. And thanks to Blaze, as always, for being great co-hosts and editing and putting all this stuff together. Next episode. Or, well, I don't think we. I don't think we know what we're doing next episode. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> We've been really good at that lately. <laughs> yeah, I've been kind of just throwing it together. Probably something spooky again to get back on track for the Halloween season. So we'll probably find a good Halloween time movie to talk about, like we did with the guest. Or the house we're- is October built. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, just like we do with the guests or both of the houses October built. So we'll try to find something else that's in tune with the season. Maybe maybe uh, uh, one that not too many people have seen or something that you can look up and be like, oh, wow, this is a perfect Halloween time movie that I haven't watched, but it's getting me in the spirit, just like the spirit of Halloween. That store. <laughs> The store and, and movie. Do you see there are movies coming out soon? Yeah, I really don't get that, but whatever. I, are, are animatronics going to be attacking them? Or? <laughs> I have no idea. They're in a, a spirit Halloween and it's haunted. I, I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like some of the worst promotion ever. <laughs> yeah. I will admit, though, they have their own T-shirts in like, pajamas this year. And I'm like, man, I really love pajamas. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't been back to Spirit in a few weeks. There's nothing new. <laughs> yeah. There was a couple cool things I saw, like those bobbleheads they put out. Yeah. They got, the, <laughs> they got the trick-or-treat uh, bus ride masks, which are good. Yeah, but they had those last year. Did they? Yeah. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this year is better than the last couple of years. It feels like there is more new stuff than yeah, that's true. has been. Now that we're kind of, I mean, not post-pandemic, but post the big part of the pandemic. 
Yeah, now, that well, we're, now, we're, now that we're in the ignoring stage of the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> now that we're not following what every other country is doing. <laughs> yeah. Now we're just like, oh, it's over now. It's not a thing. <laughs> How is it over? Uh, <laughs> I'll let you know when I get it. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a problem. But until then, fuck my grandma. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, anything else until next week? Nope. All See you right. later. Fuckers. There you go, fuckers. And remember, every day is Halloween, so please act accordingly. Bye. Bye.